invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 64. It's in the Pew Bible on page 606. Here through, uh, through Advent, we'll be using what's called the, the lectionary, you know, the readings that are accepted readings for this, these seasons during, uh, by a number of different uh, churches and uh, denominations. And Isaiah 64 is uh, our passage for today that Isaiah presents this cry for help, for, for God to, to tear open the heavens, to rend them and, and come down among us to uh, rescue us. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your written word. Thank you for the truth that you communicate to us. Thank you for the way that your, your, spirit, ta- takes, your spirit takes your word into places that are deeper within us than we even understand. And we ask for you to continue to use your word, your spirit, in grace and truth. To form us more and more into the people you want us to be. Jesus, we pray. Amen. Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence. As when the fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for Him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways. But you were angry, and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, we are all your people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A cry for help. I mean, Isaiah, through Isaiah, the people of God in that day were saying, not that, but, God help us. I mean, save us. We're, we're in trouble. We need you to, to rend the heavens, rip them open. And come down among us to save us. Most recent events in the life of my family 
was while I was in Syria, wherein you would have thought maybe I would have needed rescuing, but instead they did, because it was about 10.30 one night, and Kathy's ready for bed, the kids are supposed to be in bed, you know how that works, and water starts pouring out of the ceiling of our kitchen. We don't have a waterfall in there or anything like that or fancy cold water dispenser coming out of the ceiling. Matter of fact, the water was hot because what we found out later it happened was that the, the supply pipe to the upstairs bathroom, the hot water supply pipe, had busted around 10.15. And so water was pouring down through the ceiling and the walls. And Kathy throws on a robe, runs around the asking for help, of which the kids were none, because they were battling with each other over who was going to get the towels and who was supposed to get the, uh, the buckets to catch the water. So picks up the phone, calls Will, my next-door neighbor, and to which Will is in bed, answers the phone and holds the phone out here, and supposedly the whole neighborhood could hear the cry for help. Uh, there's water coming out of my kitchen ceiling. And Kathy's mom, who was visiting, was was there. I will not say anything bad about my mother-in-law publicly. (laughs) But she's not a plumber, so she didn't know how to help either. But Will ran around the house thinking maybe something was leaking outside. I don't know that in the midst of things. And by the time they finally couldn't figure out where the water was from where it was leaking and finally figured out where the shutoff was down in some corner of the basement... The water, the whole hot water heater tank had been emptied. And the water had turned from hot to cold. So there was water everywhere. A cry for rescue and desperation, which now we can look back at and laugh. And we can. But we also live in a day where there are many cries for desperation. Thousands upon thousands are losing their job. And even more know their job is on the edge. And not just individuals, but multi-million dollar corporations now are lining up in our nation's capital say to cry for help. We're going to implode. I mean, the largest bank in the country. The, the major automobile manufacturers lining up in desperation. We need help. Cries for help surround us. And just this week, in Mumbai, India, where terrorists attacked two of the major hotels in Mumbai, killing over a hundred people. For 60 hours, they, they held the hotel. Desperate cries for help. While I was in Syria meeting with church leaders from Iraq, They shared with us their desperate cries for help. How their their, their churches were being depleted because of ethnic cleansing in three of the four cities. The Christians were being forced out of their communities. None of them had had pastors for years. And they were crying for help. That's the picture that Isaiah paints for us. Of his people in the midst of desperation, in the midst of trouble that they they can't get out of, 
Dear God, come rescue us. Save us. It was with the uh, church leaders in Iraq. When they would share with us their needs and we, you know, can do Americans. What can we do? How can we help you? Over and over again. Pray for us. Pray for us. Okay, we'll do that. What can we do to help? Pray for us. It was always first on their list. And towards the end of our time together, one point, an individual said, you know, we appreciate and we give you some other ways that you can help us, but be sure to join us in our desperate cry to God for help because the United States is not our Savior. God is. So join with us in crying out to God for help. It's amazing how you have to go around the world to have that hammered home to you. That God is our Savior and no other. Now He uses one another We as community, we as followers of Christ, as the body of Christ, help one another and others. But it is God who is the source of our rescue. He's the one, as Isaiah paints the picture here, of the one who is all-powerful and mighty. Verse 4, from ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you. It is, it is the Creator, the, the, the Yahweh. The one who simply spoke and created light by the very power of His words. This God who simply breathed and filled us with life. He is the one of power and might and ability. He is the only one able to rescue us. Now with people of God in Isaiah's day, we join with them at the end of verse 2. We say, God, come save us. Save us from our enemies. Make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. You know, come down, God, and take care of them. Show them. And God does. The word nations, the same word we use for Gentiles, you know, goim, the, 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 the other people, the people that are outside of God's covenant community. Come down, God, because they are causing us trouble and save us. And and God does and will. I mean, think of uh, the flood. We're told that there were none that were following God. Simply the family of Noah were deemed righteous. And God saved them, rescued them from the flood that came and destroyed all of God's enemies. Or the Exodus. God's people were enslaved to the Egyptians. And they cried out to help. God, rescue us. And God heard and responded and liberated 
them from the chains of the Egyptians. Split the Red Sea before them. And the unarmed slaves were victorious over the the chariot-riding, sword-wielding Egyptian army. I know how we wish the story would end there. And that God's people, saved from their enemies, would then Moses and Aaron walking or, or on camelback in the deserts and the sun is setting and they live happily ever after. That's what God desires. I mean, God desires for God's people to, to follow Him. I mean, that's verse 4 and 5. You know, those that wait on Him, God works for them. Those that that do right. Those that remember in your ways. That's what God desires that then it be back to the garden in a sense of before the fall. That perfect relationship of God's people with Him and they lived happily ever after. But that's not how the story goes. And it's not how this passage continues. God rescues us from our enemies But we need more rescuing. For we need to be rescued, not just from our enemies, but from ourselves. The end of verse 5. And this really is the, the pinnacle of the passage. But you were angry, and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. God, save us from ourselves. We don't do what's right either. We're just as much your enemies as those people out there. We cause as much trouble by what we do and don't do as your enemies do. I mean, remember the flood and the exodus. I mean, after they were in the boat, rescued from the destruction of all the created order, the, the ark finds its resting place. They eventually work their way out of the ark, and it doesn't take a chapter for them to make a mess of things once again. And it doesn't take much longer for the Israelites being released from slavery the miracle of the Red Sea being torn apart, that they get through, find themselves freed from the shackles of the Egyptian chains, that they turn to their Redeemer, to their Savior, and complain, we'd like a little more meat with our evening meal, please. Maybe we should just go back to Egypt. If you remember, if you saw the, the movie Amistad, which is about slaves who were through the middle, the slave ship was called Amistad. And, and through a number of legal event, or 
if the events that happened that were unusual and uh, some legal representation from the church in the Northeast, that this particular ship was enabled to return home, back to their tribal homelands before they were sold into slavery in the States. And the whole movie is just the, the brutality that they faced and those that joined with them to, to release them from slavery. And the, the final scene of the, the, the movie has the Amistad returning home to tell us that those who were freed from slavery in the United States only returned to slavery back home in Africa because their families had been enslaved by other tribes around them. Left to our own devices in our humanity, we fail. We are a shipwreck. And we need to be rescued. I see it in my own life every time that I read my prayer journal. That I've been keeping off and on for 15 years. And it's amazing to me, no matter how far I go back, it seems I'm always praying for the same thing. I'm always praying to be delivered from my arrogance, to be led into humility. God brought that home even this week. I've been spending some time in Timothy, reading First and Second Timothy, trying to, to grab Paul's guidance to Pastor Timothy. Uh, what is it? What are the, what's the, the biblical call, the, the charge as a pastor following in the footsteps of Timothy, listening from the Apostle Paul? Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. A passage that I focused on a good bit. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kindly to everyone. An apt teacher, patient, correcting opponents with gentleness. You know, I sort of took pride in that passage. Because people have told me that I'm gentle. Oh, that's good. It's a good thing. I've even taken constructive criticism as a backhanded compliment. When folks say, you know, you need to be more forceful, I sort of turn that around and say, huh, they're telling me I'm gentle. That's good. Yet just this week had an encounter with an individual where I wanted to get my point across and I beat him up with my words. And they left in tears. No tears of remorse, but tears of sadness from the harsh words of your pastor. I don't deserve rescue. I don't deserve being saved from the shipwreck. Being saved from my own sin. And neither do you. Neither do 
any of us. I mean, we know what's right. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. We know what's right. We don't have the ability, the capability to do it. And even the righteous things we do, we do with impure, mixed motives. I mean, I went to First and Second Timothy. I wanted to, to hear what Paul said to Timothy so that I would be successful. I wasn't seeking the Lord. I was seeking the Lord's benefits. My motives weren't to seek after Jesus purely. Let me seek after Jesus so that Jesus will bless me. That's why Isaiah, along with the people of God 3,000 years ago, said the same thing. In verse 6, he says all three times to be sure that we all are included He tells us that even our righteous deeds are like filthy cloth. And what he's saying is that we are unclean before a pure and holy God. We don't seek God first. We, We don't pray without ceasing. We don't surrender all that we are unto Almighty God. We don't submit to His leading In a simple way, speeding exhibits that. And we're told in the Scriptures to obey the law of the land, to obey our authorities. And speeding is a law that we're, we're not to break. But I break it. I speed because I can and I want to. And it's simply that rebellious. And I know a number of you right now are already making excuses in your mind as to why you speed also. It is amazing our ability to generate our own innocence. I saw a book quoted recently that I looked at and reviewed a little bit called The Problem with Blame. And what the, the author was saying is that we have the amazing capacity to avoid sin, the very presence of sin in our lives. And she basically gave three ways. We deny it. Just deny it, bald-faced lie. I didn't do it. We excuse it in some way. Ah, it's not that bad. Or we blame another. Well, they deserved it. The energy that we spend in, in generating our own innocence is what gets in the way of us crying out for God's rescue. Gets in the way of our desperation. Is if we generate our own innocence within us. God save us not only from our enemies, but save us from ourselves. Because without you, we are lost. The good news is that God hears that cry and answers it every time. 
He never grows weary of hearing that cry no matter, no matter how many times we've said it. How many times it's flowed from our lips or poured out of our hearts. He never tires. Yet, O oh Lord, verse 8, You are our Father. We are the clay and You are our potter. We are all the work of Your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry. Do not remember iniquity. Consider, we are Your people. That's the good news, brothers and sisters. Let us stop trying to be God and stop trying to please God. And simply surrender. To His love. He is our Father. Period. There's nothing more we can add. Nothing more we can subtract. From that truth. And we are His people. What we just celebrated. At baptism. That picture of surrendering to God. And being raised to new life. That's the the SOS cry that we then enact its answer. We enact the rescue operation of God saving us even from ourselves. Now, note, when we get rescued, when, when we're in that place of desperation... We don't have any say on the terms of rescue. You know, Kathy didn't have any chance to get any more gussied up than just putting on her robe and calling Will. And he didn't have any time to do anything but the same. When it's time for rescue, it's simply time of letting it go before God. And letting Him do the work. Advent is that season that, that, that candle is like a, a flare, an SOS cry. And Advent is that season where we focus on Christmas Day, where we know that God has promised to rescue, but the way that He has rescued us is by getting His hands dirty. Like a potter with clay. God in Jesus Christ has become like us, has taken on the form of sinful humanity, yet without sin, yet totally human, to be among us, to be with us. The incarnation, God becoming flesh, is God's rescue where Jesus lives the life of perfect humanity. He dies, is raised into new life to show us, to purchase for us freedom from ourselves, from the sin that is within us. And He ascends into the Father so that He sends the Holy Spirit now to dwell in us. To continue to transform us from the inside out. That is God's rescue operation. He doesn't remove us from our circumstances. He doesn't change our circumstances. He enters us 
in the midst of our circumstances so that we will be changed. That is God's rescue operation for us and for the whole world. That's what we celebrate in Advent as we prepare for the joy of Christmas Day. We, just like the people of God in the days of Egypt, call out to God in our own slavery, in our own desperation, and He hears and He rescues. As an old spiritual, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The cry of desperation. May our hearts and spirits be just as broken and vocal to God as we seek His salvation, as we seek the hands of a loving Father, better than any earthly parental love, our Father rescues us from the inside out. Not because of who we are, but because of who He is. So we don't have to be good enough, smart enough, we don't have to do the right things, Because He already has. I wonder uh, for each of us, what is the the pain? What is the trouble? What is the disease? What's the fear? That's its shackles on your ankle or, or on your heart. What's the success, the arrogance, the gifts, the wealth or the fame? that has imprisoned your soul. The sin that is within us, not as an infraction, not by what we do, but by what we are. Sin as infection. Where we come helpless before Almighty God to rescue us, to save us. As we've been doing some lately. Let's take a minute of of silence both to bring the, the shipwreck that we may be in the midst of to God and also to receive, to receive the loving embrace, that the jubilee freedom that our loving Father brings to us. Let's take a minute of silence to reflect and respond and to receive. Let's pray.
Almighty, Holy God, we rejoice in this moment that You are our loving Father. That You have made us Your people. You have shared with us the the message of salvation, the good news of Jesus, God the Son, walking with us, knowing us better than we know ourselves, dying for us and being raised to new life, the power of Your Spirit, moving forward according to Your love and grace and Your mercy. We rejoice. We, we bring all that we are before You, needing Your rescue. And we celebrate. We are overwhelmed with gratitude and joy. That Your character is so filled with love that You run like a father to a prodigal son to rescue us. We rejoice, dear God, that we can come before You today, in this moment, any moment, boldly, without fear, not because of anything we bring, but because of what Jesus has accomplished for us, for all of Your creation. We rejoice And we bring before you one another as we bring ourselves to you. Not just a bunch of individuals, but as a people. A people that you've called to be the body of Christ today. We we continue to give ourselves to you. Save us from our enemies and save us from ourselves. In your love and in your grace. We lift up to you those in our midst in need of your healing hand, in need of your your touch, we continue to to pray for our brothers and sisters in Iraq, as we've mentioned today, and also heard recently of our brothers and sisters in Iran, churches uh, there who face such persecution, save them from their enemies in addition to themselves, for they, they face them. We lift up to you a friend of this congregation, Rebecca Frank, who lost her son as a Marine in Iraq. We pray your your hand upon her. Rescue her and her family from their pain and grief. We continue to lift up to you one another and pray particularly for Tom Warren and Marlo Hunt as they are recovering from surgery. And other needs, friends and family, even enemies, we bring before you so that you might rescue them for your glory and your honor. Gracious God, we rejoice, rejoice that your your love for us is without end. We pray all of these things 
the matchless name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.